Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Welcome, friends. I'm your host, Jason Day, and we have yet another great guest with us on this week's episode of the Church Leaders Podcast. I am joined by David Fitch, Chair of Evangelical Theology at Northern Seminary. Dave also serves as one of the co-pastors at Peace of Christ Community Church in the Chicago suburb of Westmont. He coaches a network of church plants in the Christian and Missionary Alliance and writes regularly on cultural engagement, mission, leadership, and theology. On this week's episode, Dave and I have a conversation about how coming to the Lord's table, not just through the sacrament of communion, but also through community, invites us to step into a deeper experience of the presence of God. Dave shares personal stories of how he and his people have cultivated lives that are being lived on mission, and we discuss ways that your church can embrace mission right in your community. So please join me in my conversation with David Fitch. Dave, I am really looking forward to our discussion today about how the church can really live on mission. So welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. Good to be here, Jason. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Dave, uh, to give us a bit of context for our conversation today, uh, can you begin by sharing um, a bit about your journey in ministry? Oh, a bit. That's <laughs> that's a big ask because it's a long, 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 long journey. But uh, I'll cut it down into like two minutes here. Uh, when I got out of seminary at the age of 23, I just didn't see myself as being a pastor. I didn't. Uh, this was way back in the 80s. And I, I just looked at uh, that guy with the suit and the tie and, uh, and the pulpit, and I go, I can't be that guy. And so I'd started a long journey. Uh, uh, on, I, it was a diversion, and I won't go into it, but basically – I, I became a financial services executive. I did a whole bunch of stuff. I had a I had a major what what we in the holiness movement call a second conversion, a second work of grace where God just called me back to himself. And that started a journey to do a PhD in theology and church and culture. And I uh, began past not pastoring, but actually speaking and and preaching at a church which is now Park Community Church in Chicago. And uh, that led to a journey of uh, me being called back into the ministry, then getting married, then church planting. And I think I'm now in my seventh church plant. And I love church planting. But I also um, am interested in how the church can uh, recapture its sense of mission in a in a world that's really changed since 1984. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. this this world this this place we live in, North America, <clears throat> is is no longer a place dominated by those who go to church. It's now, especially where I live in Chicago or the northern parts of the United States or even Canada, uh, majority of people don't go to church. And a lot of people don't even like church. And there's a resentment towards the church for some reasons that are good, some that are not. And so we live in a very hostile place. How do we engage it for mission? Because God is at work calling the whole world to himself. There's a summary, and I think I did it in three minutes and 32 seconds. Yeah, well done. Well done, Dave. <laughs> so so currently right now, what what is your ministry role? Because I know you teach. I'm the Lindner Chair of Evangelical Theology, which is church culture, 
ethics at Northern Seminary in Chicago. I am pastoring along with three other pastors, uh, a church called Peace of Christ Church in Westmont, which is kind of like a middle core suburb of Chicago. And I do a lot of things related to Fresh Expressions USA and speaking about church and mission in, you know, I, I travel maybe once a month overnight and a couple times just speaking and in trying to help churches figure out how to lead into mission. Excellent. So you you are involved in a lot of things, obviously teaching on the seminary level, pastoring, speaking, and, and encouraging pastors and churches and church planters uh, around the country, and of course writing. And Dave, through your writings, through your teachings, kind of a specific focus has sort of arisen in, in what I've I've read the, that you've written. And that is how you're kind of pointing us to really focus on the presence of God. Uh, and, and I see that as kind of a, a very key thing in what you share. What brought you to that, that focus? Um, I think originally, like 20 years ago, I was struggling um, with various forms of church, which were programmed church. Mm. And I was longing or an encounter with the living presence of Christ. Uh, I, I, I wanted to come to be together on Sunday morning, um, not for a highly programmed presentation, but rather an invitation into the living presence of the risen Lord through the Holy Spirit. And that happens through worship. And so I was way back then trying to sort out how to be that kind of church in the middle of a very crazed frenetic paced culture uh, that doesn't seem to have any time for anything. And when they do go to church, it's on a very like specific time to fit God in to everything else they're doing. And so I became very, uh, there's a guy named Bob Weber who was influential at that time of my life. Bob taught here at Northern Seminary, uh, Anglican dude, um, um, very much into liturgical form. And that was kind of like my introduction. But this has now gone uh, so much deeper for me. And, I, and I'll, now I'll flash forward to when I was sitting in McDonald's up and when, when we were planting Life on the Vine up in the northwest suburbs. And I was just so impressed by things I was reading and the scriptures that God was at work in the world. And yet we were invited to be uh, the means by which his presence becomes known to other people who do not yet know he's working in their lives. And so I would just sit there and pray and 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 pray for the presence of Christ to be at this table that I was drinking a number, uh, a large coffee with three creams every every morning, McDonald's, large mm-hmm. coffee, three creams. And, and I just, and people would come and sit and I would just, I would say, Lord, help me to be aware of your presence. And it would just change the whole texture of First of all, what I was doing there, but also my, the way my attention focused on the other person and the way it opened space for God to work through his presence between me and that other person, even if that other person did not yet know Jesus as Lord. And it would always open up space for me to recognize his presence and eventually, at the right time in the right place, invite people to recognize Jesus as Lord is working in their lives for forgiveness uh, reconciliation, renewal, and healing. And uh, so uh, over the last five, six, seven years, um, 
for a lot of theological reasons, the presence of God as the way he works in the world for his renewal and transformation has just become a central theme for me. And by the way, it's literally from the first page to the last page of the entire scriptures, it dominates uh, the scripture as the way God works in the world. Yeah, that's good, brother. I love that. And uh, thank you for sharing even just kind of your personal journey, your personal story. That That's so very helpful as you've kind of been stepping into that and God's been revealing that to you. Uh, let me ask you this, Dave. For the pastors who are listening, who they are sensing that they're kind of caught up in in that frenetic pace as well that you mentioned, you know, it's and it just, you know, Sunday comes every week, right? And so a lot going on. There's a lot of expectation on pastors from, you know, there's, we have our own expectations we place on ourselves, uh, our congregants, and then, you know, if we're in a denominational structure, there are other expectations. And what, what would you say to the pastors who are listening in who are like, I really want to make a transition similar to what you did, Dave. You know, I, I really want to, uh, my heart yearns for, you know, really focusing and, and celebrating the presence of God. Are there a couple things that you might recommend that they kind of step into um, for the pastor, he or she, that, that really wants to kind of make that transition themselves? Yeah, well, this is a tough one, Jason, because it was like five years into planting Life on the Vine Church, and I was uh, I was on the frenetic pace. I mean, I'm one of those type A, they call them type A persons. I, I, I'm taking everything on my shoulders. I'm working myself to death. And, uh, and I had uh, a health crisis. And this health crisis, uh, with a new baby in, in the house, uh, just said, I can't do this anymore. I cannot generate enough activity and keep enough people happy to keep this church going. And even if I could, well, what good is that? You know, God Look, churches can grow and churches can happen and develop off of human effort. It can happen that way. In fact, it's been proven it does happen that way. But when we go or when we run out of gas or when we just have a complete collapse or let's just say we die or let's just say we move on to the next church, we will see that that falls apart very quickly, that we what we leave behind was a shell of what we thought was there. Instead, we've got to learn to trust and cultivate what God is doing among a people in and through me. And I found that dynamic totally A, life-giving, and B, uh, change the whole way uh, I go about, uh, let's say, preparing for a sermon. Mm. Uh, There was a time probably when I felt I had to do 20 hours worth of work to get a good sermon. Now, I'm a bit older now. I'm not just a bit. I'm a lot older now. <laughs> okay. And, and I do have reservoir of, of material that I've, after preaching for so many years, but I have found, most importantly, <laughs> when I enter the pulpit, I need to be present to what God's doing in that congregation. And sure, I need to pre- prepare, mm-hmm. but... More than the preparation, I need to be present. I need to take the focus off myself and go, Lord, I present what I have 
to you for your use. And uh, and so often, I mean, it's it's so transformative in the way I'm able to then engage people with the gospel on Sunday morning. And by the way, some of it's probably due to age, but I believe it's also due to the, my approach. My my preparation time for sermon is down to never more than 10 hours a week, which frees up so much more time for everything else. So um, all I can say is, I mean, I'm not giving, I'm sorry, I'm not doing a very good job of giving tips. No, no, that's good. I I love that. Yeah. I'm trying to help people understand, pastors understand, you know, there's so much pressure on pastors. Right. Especially in the way we think about the church, the way we think about metrics, the way we think about, you know, how am I doing? Right. And the way the elder boards and the various uh, directorships of churches want results. I mean, this is all like uh, I've tended to say a cancer on on what the church is to be because we end up focusing on some wrong things. But can we tone it down is all I'm asking. Mm. So make space for the presence of God in this church. And, of course, it will sustain and invigorate the pastor's life, his or herself. Uh, one more thing. Yeah. One of the practices, I talk a lot about it in Faithful Presence, the, the book. Uh, but one of the practices I started to do that just changed my life is have a, have a group of people. It, it started out with only 10 and grew to like 20, and I still do it. Uh, but back, back at Life in the Vine, I did it on Friday nights, and here we do it on Sunday nights now because we have a lot of little kids. But it was just tending to a meal and listening to one another and tending to what God was doing in our lives and in our neighborhoods and then praying for one another. It was so life-giving and invigorating to me that I just can't do without it anymore, the practice of the table on uh, during the week in the neighborhood. So that's another practice that I would emphasize as a very life-giving, centering on the presence of God among us practice that can really uh, sustain a pastor in his uh, weekly tasks. That's good. Thank you, David. I appreciate that. And speaking of, of practices, um, it's a good segue. Your your newest book is entitled Seven Practices for the Church on Mission. And uh, very very practical uh, treatment of how our churches can really live in, in God's presence in our communities um, and in our neighborhoods. First, I want to ask, Dave, what do you mean by church on mission? If you were to kind of summarize that, what what's what is that? Church on mission. Uh, I want I want to uh, configure church as um, not a program or an institution to kind of keep Christians going. Although we must understand that discipleship is integral to uh, the practice and life of church. I want to instead see instead of people coming to church to get something. I want church to be implanted in a place and out of it cultivating Christian Christian people <clears throat> in a group as a way of life that fosters witness and engagement with all the various issues and people around it. So instead of a institution that people come to, it's a way of life cultivated in a place, a neighborhood, a town, a village. And out of that God will always God is present in these places but we make possible that presence to become visible in the lives of those who do not yet know him. That's good. With the seven practices for the church on mission, you you literally um you have a chapter on each of these practices and just kind of dive in 
to what they look like and um, kind of the heart behind each of them. And I would just love to kind of walk through um, a few of these in our time together in this conversation. You start with the Lord's table. Is there a reason that the Lord's table is where you began when you're looking at these seven practices? It's the dominating practice of the early church. Uh, I mean, you know, Acts 2, 46, and they ate together, praising God. They shared, they ate food together, praising God from house to house. I mean, if you look at, uh, uh, if you just look throughout the old, the, the new, I'm sorry, through the New Testament, you just see the table dominates uh, the practices of, you know, the church. You know, from, uh, okay, so from not only the Lord's table in 1 Corinthians 11 or Acts 2.46, but also, you know, when they were sent out to be witnesses in Luke 10, where, what does Jesus says? He says, go find a house, sit at that table and eat what's set before you. The table is the central practice of the church and it just illustrates two very important things about what a practice does. So, um, so first of all, I'm not or organizing my church around a belief statement. I'm organizing a church around the things we do together in what I call all three circles of the church's life. And so these are practices and they do two things. They, they center us, they bring people together to submit to his presence. And then secondly, out of that submitting, God is able to work through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit to do kingdom work, kingdom work. And so all these practices, all seven of them, uh, do those two things. They center us in his presence, making his presence visible. He promises to be present in these practices, but also here's where he promises to work among us, not only when we're together on Sundays, but in all the circles of our lives. And so the Lord's table kind of is the paradigm illustration of that. You know, every one of these practices is part of everyday life and eating is something we all do. Uh, we, we, at least we should do. And it's something a lot of us do too much. I sometimes do too much. But, but, but most of us eat three meals a day. I'm trying to cut down to two. But the point is, eating is part of everyday life. And the other practices, you know, reconciliation, the practice of reconciliation where he promises to be present, whatever two or three are gathered in my name, uh, to, to agree on any one thing. I'm there in the midst, right? But conflict is part of everyday life. It's not something to be avoided. It's, it's actually, every, it's, if you are involved in relationships, if you're married, if you're not married and you're involved in, in a roommate, if, whatever it might be, conflict is part of everyday life. Eating is part of everyday life. Conflict is part of everyday life. I call proclaiming the gospel, that's the third practice, that means by which we proclaim Jesus is Lord of your life. He's working in your life. Won't you make him Lord? Won't you submit to him right now and let him work in your life? I spell that out a little more clearly for those of you who are wondering. But we lose hope every every day we have something to – or I might be exaggerating, but discouragement's part of everyday life. Right, right. Adversity or things go wrong or struggle or pain or illness or – financial destitute, whatever it might be, we can proclaim that God works in and through the suffering and that Jesus is Lord of your life and he's taking you somewhere. So these are just practices uh, that we need to do every day. And so we start with the Lord's table 
And there's nothing more basic to life than eating. And believe it or not, I mean, it's stunning. Rita Finger, R-E-T-A, spell her name when you Google that name, R-E-T-A, not R-I-T-A. And, and you'll see she's got a brilliant New Testament study on meals and the New Testament. And she just outlines how meals dominate the way of life. Why? Because Jesus promises to be present. This, by the way, is historically sacramental when we eat the Lord's table together in the Roman Catholic Church or the um, Reformed churches, Lutheran. There's a understanding of Christ becomes really present in the meal. And there's historic precedence for that. Think of Luke 24, the Emmaus Road, after the resurrection, Jesus is walking with the disciples that don't recognize him yet. But, you know, the, he's explaining to them all that's happened because they're confused. And then he goes to walk on and they go, hey, it's getting dark. Come stay with us. There's presence. There's those, those words of presence with us. And when they break the bread, he becomes recognizable to them. And a few few uh, verses later, they say, didn't we know it? Didn't our hearts burn? Didn't we know it was him when we broke the bread? And so this is, this is just something so central to the practice of the Christian life, is learning how to tend to his presence when we eat together. And so I start with, you know, the close circle, that Sunday morning Lord's table time, when we break the bread, but it also happens on Friday nights at my house when we gather for a meal. And then it happens in McDonald's. That's what I call the half circle, the third circle. When I'm sitting there with someone who does not yet know the Lord in, in terms of him being Lord of their lives. And Jesus promises to be there. It's not a question whether he's there. It's a question of whether he will be recognized. And we have the chance if we will just tend to what he's doing in people's lives to say, hey, I believe that was God at work in your life. Do you see what I'm seeing? Jesus says this about that. Are you interested in making him Lord of your life? And that's the way the gospel goes out further into the world through, believe it or not, eating a number three breakfast sandwich and a large coffee, three creams at McDonald's. <laughs> hey, hey, Dave, um, you alluded a little bit to those circles. And for our listeners, can you kind of help us uh, explain those three circles and kind of what they mean? Because uh, throughout the book, you know, with each of these practices, you talk about these practices happening within these different circles. So you have the close circle, the dotted circle, and the half circle. Can you just kind of yeah. walk us through wh what each of those means? Yeah. And, and for everybody, for the listening audience, I do it in depth in the larger book, Faithful Presence. And uh, I have a small little part of the chapter on the Lord's Table and seven practices that explains this. But in, in really quick terms, if you look at the way the church lived its life in the New Testament, they lived it out in three circles. And so you have the close circle. And here Jesus is host of this circle. And so 1 Corinthians 11 talks about how the, the Corinthians were not eating we're eating of the table unworthily or, or without examining themselves. So there's some discernment. We come into the close circle. I don't call it closed. Call it close. That's something the Anabaptist taught me. It's <laughs> close because we're all submitting to Christ and discerning our relationship to Christ as Lord. And he's host 
of the table. But the table does not stay there. It goes into the neighborhoods. By the way, this threefold table is in Acts 2.46 where it says they met, they met at the temple and then they met from house to house in the neighborhoods and then all people had favor with them. So they were engaged with and being present to people outside of their circles and what I call the half circles. So this threefold is pretty much prevalent in the whole New Testament. But we have the closed circle, but then we have the dotted circle. I call it the dotted circle because it's still Christians gathered in the neighborhood. But there's not the discerning posture of the closed circle. Other people can come and watch what's going on. And uh, I use Mark chapter 6 and the feeding of the 5,000 to kind of illustrate here. And Jesus asked the disciples to become hosts. They don't understand what he's asking because they they say something. So you remember feeding of the 5,000, uh, uh, the disciples come up to Jesus and they say something like, hey, these people need a meal. They've been here all day. We got to send them home. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And they misunderstand. They think he wants, you know, they say, this is going to cost me my whole life savings. And Jesus says, no, just give me what you have. Nothing more, nothing less. And that's, and then the disciples um, were the ones to host that. And uh, that that kingdom broke out on uh, the feeding of the 5,000 is much flourishing and everyone had enough to eat. And But there were strangers who did not yet know Jesus watching and looking on and participating. And that's the idea of the neighborhood meal. And then the last thing is this half circle where uh, we can always go in as guests. And you see Jesus doing this repeatedly. You see him like Zacchaeus, today I will go into your house and be a guest and eat and salvation will come to you in your house. Or or the house of Levi, the Pharisees were upset at Jesus going and eating with the publicans and the sinners. How dare he be a guest there? But this is just very common in terms of understanding how we engage the world. So I always point to Luke 10 where Jesus says, you go and I send you there and and you go and you sit and you eat what's set. You go into the house, you find a person of peace, you, a person who's open and, and listening, and you sit at their house and you eat what's set before them. You don't bring a purse or money because you are a guest. You don't bring power. You go as sheep among wolves, vulnerable. Out of con- your, nothing's in your control, and you allow me to work and bring the gospel, and then you proclaim the kingdom after you've sat and remained in one place for a long time and been a guest. And I've always seen that's that's the way. Uh, I've always seen McDonald's. There are other numerous places at our church. We have this this uh, little pamphlet we work through with people called "Locating Your Half Circle," and there's just so many places where we can go, be a guest, and serve. Uh, you know, the homeless shelter, the hospital, the prison, the places where people are hurting in our various towns, whether it be the local bars or whether it be the local places uh, sitting out on corners. Jesus says, go and be among them and become a guest and listen. And after you've listened and you've located what I'm doing, then proclaim, ah, the kingdom has come near. Do you see God at work in your life? Are you interested? That's that's the three circles, and I believe they're all so integral to the life of the church as a whole way of life, not just a programmed Sunday morning thing. And it's so important in post-Christendom where we know that 
a lot of people just aren't interested in coming to church anymore for various reasons. Yeah, that, that that's so good. And I love how you kind of introduce your people at, at your local church to these three circles. So this is something that you and you know the the, the pastoral team practices, but something that you invite your people to uh, step into and to experience and allow it to become a part of their lives as well. How have you gone about introducing these in practical ways to help your people see these three different circles and how they can uh, kind of live into those as well? So there's the obvious way uh, that, uh, I mean, teaching, (laughs) teaching out of the scriptures, it's just evident that this is what God's called us to do and be as a people. But uh, I must say, teaching alone is just not going to do it. Right. Uh, uh, we must, uh, as, as leaders, as elders, uh, we must sit down with people, have a cup of coffee, and we must kind of intentionally go through their lives. A lot of people have no imagination for God at work in the world and his presence out there. A lot of people are nervous. What do I have to do? Okay, I'm sitting here. How do I how do I say the gospel? And so we must cultivate these habits of learning how to see God at work in the various places where we live and then be intentional about it. Um, we've learned, and a lot of this has just been happening recently in our churches, but we've learned that most people have a place a couple of places where they hang out. Like, for instance, some some of our people actually work out at a health club. I think it's called a health club. I know I should be more attentive in going to a health club. It's not me. <laughs> I, actually, I actually coach at the YMCA in a hockey rink. But anyways, that's another story. But, but health clubs, serving at a health club, a lot of people love uh, – th- there's no greater mission field than the hospital – some of our people work in hospitals. Some people just can go there and uh, offer volunteer services to be present with the sick. Some people have places they hang out to work. Like me, I hang out at McDonald's every morning. I have a lot of reading to do. I need a lot of coffee, cheap coffee preferably. <laughs> and McDonald's is a great place for me. But we need to just spend time. Uh, I teach ethnography at our doctorate program in contextual theology here at North Northern Seminary. And uh, we, one of the exercises we've taught people how to do is how to chart where you go and where you spend time, what you're doing. A lot of times we find, let's say, oh, you go to that grocery store in town and they have a Starbucks there. Oh, so-and-so, what do you know? You go to the same grocery store and, and you buy a Starbucks and you rush out. Could you spend an hour, hour and a half uh, the same time Mondays at 5 p.m. before you go home? every week just to tend to one another, pray for one another, and tend to the people that are gathering there. We just need to spend a little time charting out who we are, where we spend our time, where we naturally go to. You know, I I probably wouldn't have, I don't know you, Jason, at all, but I I don't know if you play hockey, but I probably wouldn't have you um, become a hockey coach if you've never played hockey. Right, right. In fact, even if 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 you're from if you grew up in Canada like me, you love hockey, so you love being there. You love teaching, and you know the dynamics going on with kids, and it just opens up space for the kingdom. But will we, while we're there, tend 
to the presence of Christ in the moments that God is working in and through you in all these places. And uh, these are the things we need to help people locate. We need to get off the idea that for anything to be a legit Christian activity, we have to come to church to do it. And we need to give people permission and help them understand that God's at work in the world in these various places and how to tend to him. I love that, Dave. It, it's been so good to have you with us, and and that really kind of opens opens up our eyes and our hearts to so many ways. And like you said, just stoking the imagination, which I think is so key to think, at, you know, how is God at work all around us, and how do we invite our people to step into that and not get so church-centric all the time when they're thinking of, of ministry and the work of God, but really for them to sense how God is is at work around them so that they can live their lives on mission, you know, seven days a week. So um, is there a, a, a way if those who are listening today want to learn more about you and your ministry? Obviously, um, you know, a couple books that we've mentioned, we'll have links to these in the show notes, your book, Faithful Presence, and um, then uh, this newest book, Seven Practices for the Church on Mission, which really kind of arose out of Faithful Presence, I believe, so we'll have links to those. But if people want to connect with you in, in any other ways, are, are there ways that they can do that? Well, uh, I'm on Twitter and Facebook uh, every morning for about an hour and a half. Uh, I use it uh, as the means to process the things I'm thinking through and uh, I'm reading. And uh, contrary to what a lot of people are saying about Facebook uh, today, and I do understand the dilemmas and problems of Facebook and social media, I use it to actually focus through uh, what I'm doing. So you can find me at Fitchest, F-I-T-C-H-E-S-T, on Facebook. I don't have any more room to make friends intentionally. I've, I'm maxed out at 5,000. I don't want to go to an author page. But but if you um, uh, hit that button uh, to follow me, you'll get in on all the conversations, and we really do have some great ones. And then also Fitchest is my Twitter handle, and, um, you know, there, there as well, uh, we're just carrying on some conversations. I also have an author page on missyoualliance.org. Uh, it's, uh, if you find me, I blog on there occasionally, not as much as I used to, but uh, I'll be blogging. 2019, I have about six blogs on major issues. I'm going to be blogging through six books on major issues, including uh, sexuality, racism, uh, multiple religion, pluralism, all the issues that we're facing as pastors leading our congregations to these new challenges to open up space for the gospel. So those are places you can find me. Hopefully you can find me pretty easily by just Googling my name. Excellent. Thank you so much, Dave, for being with us. We certainly appreciate you taking time to share and uh, really encourage us in our local ministry. So thank you, brother. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me, Jason, and blessings on your work as well. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance. And if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the Faith Play app. 
It's available for both Apple and Android. And so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day, encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.